1: all right and welcome to winning ponies i'm john engelhardt and uh the road to the kentucky derby will officially be paved this weekend when they run the stone street lexington at keeneland there's a couple horses sitting on the fence uh, in due time and ethereal road uh that where a win could put them into the derby i believe tawny port who just ran second in the jeff ruby stakes has enough to get in from the brad cox barn but his best efforts have all been on synthetic and he'll make a decision after the lexington points or not as to whether or not this horse can handle the dirt course so that's what's happening this week uh the big races As you know, Kentucky Derby is the first Saturday in May. This will be coming up on the uh, third Saturday in April. So folks, we're only like about three weeks away from the Kentucky Derby. It is hard to believe. But uh, we're going to bring in two very interesting uh, uh, guests to to help us with the uh, Derby list. Who's in? Who he likes? Who he doesn't? We're going to bring in the one and only multiple award-winning, fantastic writer from the Daily Racing Form, Jay Privman, is going to weigh in on the Toyota Bluegrass, the Santa Anita Derby, and the Wood Memorial. All of them solid races with arguably very solid and legitimate uh, winners in each case some different running styles and of course uh, the new baby on the block is Taba, coming out of the uh, west coast I got personal stories about that horse I can share believe it or not and our second guest we we don't cover enough I think Uh, and I've heard from people saying hey give us some more quarter horse information well we went right to the top if anybody knows the name Tom Dawson uh, they've been listening to him in one way shape or form as an analyst racing correspondent producer of racing shows since 1974 you'll remember most when he teamed up with Chris Lincoln uh, for uh, all those wire to wire uh, and uh, racehorse horse shows on ESPN, Uh, they were fantastic, Uh, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing, over 500 network show, da-da-da-da-da. Tom Dawson's going to come out in the section and kind of tell us what we need to start looking for in Quarter Horse Race, and then tell us about the big Quarter Horse races that are going to take place at Remington. So, we got Jay Privman, we got Tom Dawson, and we got a slew of races all over the country so the one thing that can help you there is none other than winning ponies easy win forms a couple recent winners uh, only two days ago Mahoning over in the eastern side of Ohio uh, we had one just two days ago that paid over $1,900 that was a 50 cent pick three and we had a huge day on uh, uh, Friday where at Sam Houston, Laurel, and Golden Gate, we all had winner winners, um, most of them $0.20 cent and $0.50 cent, uh, uh, trifecta pick fours and super tickets. Each one of them paid over $2,000. Don't believe me? Hey, a lot of people don't. Go on over to com. We tell you who, uh, what picks we made and who scored and who didn't. So, uh, again, I guess Taba is how you're going to uh, announce the horse's name that uh, that won the Santa Anita Derby. Uh, clearly impressive for a horse to go <clears throat> from an eye-popping six furlong debut to a grade one stakes race worth $750,000. It, we've never seen it before. It's it's freakish. And so we're going to have a, a Jay Privman talk a little bit about uh, the uh, curse of Leonidas. Yes, you remember the curse of Apollo. That was lifted four years ago. But the curse of Leonidas endures. And we'll have Jay Privman tell us about what that curse is and how it could affect the Santa Anita Derby winner, Taba. So how do the speed figures stack up? Well, this is interesting because the horses that came out of the wood, all re- the top five horses in the wood recorded their best time form and buyer speed figures of their career. It says a lot about the consistency of that field and the quality of the wood. I guess that gives an extra little nod to Mo Donnie Hall, for those of you with uh, Irish lineage, uh, the horses that come from a little bit off the pace. But um, the highest buyer going into last year's Kentucky Derby was a 100 that was posted by Rock Your World, who won the Santa Anita Derby. This year, uh, Taba, Messier, and Epicenter both have already topped that mark and uh four of them have a, buy, a buyer speed figure within five points of uh taba and messier that's epicenter zandon zozos and simplification who all have 98 buyers so as far as a speed factor is considered those are the horses that really shoot to the top if we have uh time later in the segment uh, i'll i'll go to it but uh, just the top five real quick pretty much you just heard it uh taba, Messier, Moe Donegal, early voting, uh, Zandon and Epicenter are really within a point of one another, depending on uh, which source you are using. Now, Forbidden Kingdom, who was very highly regarded uh, and for good reason in the Santa Anita Derby, had already bankrolled over 434 and five career starts. The Richard uh, Mandela trainee will not be going to the kentucky derby uh it looks like uh he has a um epiglottis issue okay i got that right uh so uh hopefully it's something a lot of times i believe that's the flap that can be tied back and it's not a major surgery so hopefully we will see forbidden kingdom back because early on the trail he was one of my horses uh, For potential Derby favorite. Who's hot? Flavian Pratt, man, he came into Keeneland and won three graded stakes. So, yeah, he garnered a jockey of the week. You know, he's been the dominant rider in Southern California in recent years. Then he made the decision to move his tack to Keeneland for the spring meet. I kind of like that after Derby week at Churchill Downs, though, he's going to ride regularly in New York, of course, coming up very quickly uh, the Belmont season, eventually the Saratoga season. Uh, He's going to go for his doctoral degrees uh, against the top jockeys in the world. Uh, Pratt's stats for the week 21 starts, 7 wins, 2 seconds four-thirds with earnings of over 1.3 million dollars it started in the grade one madison for uh, brad cox down at keeneland on just one time got that done and then for chad brown he rode Zandon in the in the Bluegrass, and on Sunday, another Brad Cox trainee gave Pratt his third graded stakes win in a Matarea, a three-year-old filly. So congratulations to him. Now it's almost that time of the year. you wonder, all right, we got twenty horses, but multiple uh horses have been ridden by the same rider who's riding who well we know one horse that ran in the arkansas derby that'll be one of the favorite in the kentucky oaks and that is secret oath trained by hall of famer kentucky derby uh hall (laughs) hall of famer d wayne lucas um, who was thinking about going to the Derby. If she won the Arkansas Derby, she didn't. She's back on the Oaks path. Uh, as you may recall, uh, Luis his agent is Karen McLaughlin, who was an assistant to Lucas back in the 1980s uh, before he turned out to be a highly successful um, in, in his own right. Um, just some other notes we get from Artie McGee is that uh, – Uh, Nashville, who ran 10th in the Commonwealth on Saturday, but was going to Rude and Riddle just to get, uh, even though he scoped clean and everything. But Asmussen says he was just to do a thorough examination, a disappointing effort, and they just want to make sure everything's okay. You may recall Nashville holds the Keeneland track record for six furlongs. 107.89 107.89 for those of you keeping score he set that on breeder's cup saturday uh and that was back in 2020 four for eight lifetime so he's been lightly raced probably had a few issues uh but uh hopefully he will be just fine he's one fast horse in the right hands of steve asmussen uh emmanuel that was a horse it was uh, on a lot of uh handicappers radar screen uh was third as the pace setter in the bluegrass looks like he's going to pass that and go to the uh penine ridge on uh, the belmont turf going to give him a little bit of race and he'll be back and grantham who was kind of on the outside looking in wasn't sure if they're going to go uh he drew the post 12 in the bluegrass they scratched and uh you probably uh, won't see him for a while. He's in the hands of Mike Maker, who never tips his hand to let you know what's going on. And it looks like we're going to get a chance to see the speedy Jackie's Warrior uh, back at the races. Steve Asmussen, uh, in addition to a slew of other good horses he's going to start at Oaklawn Park, will be putting Jackie's Warrior in. Of course, he's the champion male sprinter of last year and this will be in the half a million dollar grade three count fleet handicap well we got plenty of other national news but nothing is more important than the man who is waiting just off stage and prepared to make his entrance we're going to take a brief break and we come back drum roll please Jay Privman from the Daily Racing Forum you're listening to Winning Ponies
3: Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, porters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
0: Wedding Ponies with John Englehart.
1: And Now, a a man whose time and and opinion are uh, invaluable. I'm so happy uh, that he's going to spend some time with us, and I look forward to going over uh, what we think might be in the starting gate three weeks from now, none other than the Daily Racing Forum's multi-award-winning writer, Jay Privman. Jay, thanks for gracing us with your presence again.
4: Uh, John, it's always good to be with you. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm really good. And I'm kind of pumped up. Uh, I, and I'm going to let you comment on each of last week's preps, but I really thought each one of them came up legitimate and made real solid cases, uh, for, for the winners in there. And of course we've already got the horses that two weeks ago have kind of put their horseshoes to rest for an extra week's rest. And, uh, so uh, we will, we'll get into that. So Oh, look, the three races i'd like to key on before we start talking about others jay are obviously uh the wood memorial the toyota bluegrass and one that you probably saw in person the Santa anita derby so you take them in any order you want because that they're all important
4: sure well the Santa Anita derby you're right i was there for that and it was an incredible performance by tay but uh in only a second start to beat messier the the way he did and Earned a strong buyer speed figure. Uh, I did some research, and I found that there's only been one horse in the entire history of the Kentucky Derby that's won it uh, in with only two prior starts, and that happened back in 1883. So there's a lot of history that Taba is going to be trying to go up against, but certainly off the way he ran last Saturday at Santa Anita, you'd have to at least give him a chance. Uh, he's going to be one of the top choices in the race, and I was I didn't think he was capable of pulling something like that off. I thought it was an incredible performance. Um, you know, the Bluegrass, Zandon is a horse that Marty McGee and I in the Derby Watch that we do in the racing forum, we've been very uh, bullish on him ever since last December's Remsen Stakes when in only his second start he was beaten in a photo by Mo Donegal and we've had our eye on him and been very complimentary of him and he backed up our bullishness with the way he ran in the bluegrass, the way he got shuffled back, there wasn't a whole lot of pace and the turn of foot that he showed was pretty devastating. Uh, Smile Happy ran a terrific race in his own right, finishing second. And You can't really fault either of those horses. They've been solid, consistent runners and They're going to go on uh, to the Derby. As you said in your opening segment there, Emmanuel, who ran third, is going to be routed to the grass now and and will go to the Penine Ridge, like you were saying. And then the Wood Memorial, you were just talking about Zandon and the narrow loss he had in the Remsen last fall to Modonegal. So Modonegal returns to the scene of his biggest previous win and makes off with the Wood Memorial. I thought he had a pretty soft trip in this race. He was able to save ground the whole way, and he only had to go around one horse, but it was certainly an improvement off his first start of the year in the Holy Bowl, which is at a track and at a distance that I don't think were optimum for Mo Donegal. And so overall, when you look at all three of those races and the top two or so out of each of those races, John, we saw some really strong performances from a group of horses that I think are, are all moving forward and makes this one of the more interesting derbies we've had in a in number of years, I think.
1: absolutely and jay you know uh uh i I followed somebody else's research and realized how strong the wood memorial was is that the top five finishers all ran the best buyer of their life so each one of these to some point depending on how you judge it ran the best race of their career in the wood memorial i mean that that's strong that's really strong. Uh, we'll, we'll see if uh, he shows up. Now, now, Mo Donegal, a, a, as you know, Jay Privman, uh, as much as people watch races uh, over the last couple of weeks, don't they love to see a horse like Zandon come from 10th and 1st or horses that come from off the pace? that win, and They go, that's my – he'll go a mile and a quarter. That's my derby horse. And I don't have to tell you that you don't want to be the big closer in the derby you want to be somewhere uh, up and near the 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 the, the pace now we've all we've already seen that it it looks like taba can do whatever he wants uh and uh i don't think Zandon meant to be as far back but just from his last couple performances you know looks like he comes from off and i'll never forget the remsen he should have been uh, put up for that race uh and uh you know, uh, as as far as the uh, uh, that was the bluegrass, uh, M. Odonigal, right? So I've I've just shined back in with with, with my observations. But wasn't that interesting information that th- those five horses in the aqueduct had such sensational personal performances?
4: Yeah, you know, and and in the bluegrass, Anton got a, a personal best buyer speed figure, but you know that's not uncommon at this time of year, if it's a good crop, because these are developing three-year-olds, they're they're maturing, they should be moving forward and running faster uh, at this time. Uh, But that, to me, John, what you mentioned about the Wood Memorial and then just seeing what uh, Taba did in the Santa Anita Derby and Zandon and and Smile Happy and the uh, Bluegrass, all of those horses have been... Considered one of the among the top contenders for a while, and they've continued to run well. They've continued to run faster numbers, and I think that overall speaks to just what a good group of horses this is.
1: Yeah, it really does. And you brought me back to a horse that uh, was kind of in everybody's radar, and then uh, you 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 know how racing uh, goes. or What have you done for me lately? And it's kind of <laughs> like sm- smile, happy fellow a little bit off the uh, the radar by, by running against a fantastic... What we're seeing is a really solid horse in, in, in epicenter. And it looks to me like Kenny McPeak's almost done like a masterful job at at, at tweaking his engine up to be just right for the Indianapolis 500 or the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> you know what I mean, Jay? It really looks like... Uh, you know, you, uh, Kenny, at no point did he feel like, we have to win this race, we have to win this race. It looks like he's taken kind of a, a very a planned road to the Derby.
4: Very much so. I mean, this is a horse who ran at fairgrounds in his first start of the year and, in fact, finished in front of Zandon when both were beaten by Epicenter in the Risen Star. And the Risen Star has really proven to be the key race of all because Epicenter came out of that and won the Louisiana Derby. Zandon and Smile Happy came out of that to run 1-2 in the Bluegrass. Uh, Slow Down Andy came out of that race and won the Sunland Derby uh Tawny port came out of that race and ran second in the jeff ruby. Uh, it's really proven to be a a deep strong race and uh but getting back to smile happy, he's had two starts so far this year and now he's returning to the track where he had his biggest career win in the Kentucky Jockey Club last year at the, at the track where the Kentucky Derby's run. So you you know other than winning last week, I don't think you could you could have drawn it up any better for smile happy in terms of his progress towards the Kentucky Derby. Now, uh,
1: we, we've been, we've been uh, keying in uh, on these three races. There's a couple of names that have, have snuck up uh, d- during our conversation. So I guess uh, now I'm asking you, Jay, uh, to, you know, kind of spread out a little bit and maybe uh, talk about the horses like Epicenter. Um, uh, I, I, Morello kind of left me with a meh feeling. A white a Barrio who looked perhaps to be one of the top three horses in the country around the season, maybe is losing a little bit. Uh, I'm just throwing names out there. Uh, I want to see who I'm missing or who on that list needs to be paid attention to.
4: Well, I think there's there's just a recency bias that kind of comes into when you're looking at some of these derby preps. And when you get good, strong performances like we saw last weekend, I think people tend to maybe overlook what happened the week prior or two weeks prior, but I dare say if, Epicenter's race and Zandon's race had been flip-flopped and Zandon's race was three weeks ago when Epicenter's was just last weekend. We'd be raving about Epicenter's race and with good <laughs> reason. The, the way he won the Louisiana Derby was was terrific. He, he he showed that he could sit behind horses and when he was asked to do his best, he went right on with it and he got a fast buyer speed figure of of 102. Uh, you know, it was a It was a powerhouse performance and he's, you know, He's no worse than the second choice for the Derby right now uh, on our Derby Watch Top 20.
1: No, no, it's funny how how quick we are as handicaps to forget what happened five weeks ago. It's like, oh, yeah, wait, he did beat him and him and him. Uh, Any of the horses, uh, uh, we're talking with Jay Priven from the Daily Racing Forum, um, that – haven't uh, been mentioned uh, by myself that you want to say, you know, John, a horse that may be kind of hiding behind the trees that you might want to keep an eye on is blank.
4: There's a couple that I think fall into that category. First of all, Cyberknife, who won the Arkansas Derby, is a horse that I know Brad Cox has been extremely high on. And he's just been a very immature horse, but he seems like he's starting to figure it out. And when he won the Arkansas Derby, that was his second straight win. Uh, He got a a solid buyer speed figure of of 92, but he just strikes me as the kind of Colt that still has some improvement in him and is capable of moving forward, and I would expect him to move forward in the Kentucky Derby. Whether that improvement's going to be enough to beat Zandon or Taba or Messier or Mo Donegal or that kind of group, I don't know, but I think he is capable of even better than we saw in the Arkansas Derby, and I think that makes him a potential factor in the race, and then another horse that I have really kind of had my eye on, John, who I think is going to be a big long shot in the Derby, but I think has a good chance, is Simplification, who in mm-hmm. the Florida Derby, in which he finished third, was close to the pace, and he was a little bit keen early. And that was the race, remember, where Classic Causeway was setting the pace and, and faded in that race. And Simplification went on with it, but then he was ended up down on the rail through the stretch, which was not the best place to be that day. And... I thought he ran a kind of a sneaky good race, and his two previous races at Gulfstream were, were very good. And he's just going to get overlooked because his last prep was going to be five weeks before the Derby, and he's, uh, you know, he was defeated in his last start. But I think his race was a little better than it looks on paper, and I, I give him a, a big chance at a giant price.
1: You, know, you, you brought up a, uh, a horse's name that I, I certainly should have addressed with you earlier, um, and that is Messier. Uh, yes, he was beaten by the, 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 the freakishly fast uh, Taba, but <clears throat> Messier, can we give him a bounce? I mean, he certainly looked like a horse that was really, you know, in, in a good form cycle, uh, did set the pace, but, uh, you, you know, uh, folded to some extent. But I don't know that he folded her at the table was just that good. Do, do, do you think we can, we can g- give him a mulligan and expect a little bit more uh, on Derby Day?
4: Yeah, to a point. You know, it was his first race in two months. since He had won the Robert Lewis, so he, he might have needed the race. But the thing that I'm a little bit concerned of is that this is the second time he's been in a big race where he didn't really beat a horse, so I think on paper he was supposed to. You know, with all the experience that he had going into the Santa Anita Derby, you'd think he would beat Taba. And in the Los Alamitos Futurity last fall, I thought he should have beaten Slowdown Andy that day. and He just kind of gave, I thought just sort of gave the race away then he had that monster performance in the Robert Lewis where he got a strong buyer speed figure. But, but, you know, he was was running against the wind that day. The horses that he faced were not uh, of any consequence. So I think he's a really talented horse. Um, I just, I'm having trouble giving him an excuse for getting beat by Taba other than the fact that, you know, Taba just ran out of his mind that day.
1: And also, let's face it. I I, I think Me- Me- Messier in his running style—he's painted himself into a corner. And the fact that Jay and you've had to witness this as many as any—he, uh, I don't think he's ever raced against a field larger than six horse horses. Well, wait till he turns right. his head a- a- and looks at 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 nineteen of them. You yeah,
4: Cave is going to be in the same boat. You know, these horses that come from California have been running in, and, and have been running in small fields, and it is going to be a different experience for them. But you know, Medina Spirit, uh obviously he was able to overcome that uh handicap last year and and run a big race in the in the Derby. And there's other horses who have come from California in recent years who are coming out of a small field. So if they've got the talent, they can do it. But I think your point is well taken. it, it is a it's a completely different experience running in a twenty horse field than in a six horse field.
1: Well, obviously, I don't experience for all of them, but, you know, some of these horses and some of the other races have uh, certainly been uh, uh, fielding an occasional double digit field, shall we say, after that. Well, uh, now, I've, you know, the last couple of years have been so weird with with the COVID and then the limited attendance and things like that. Where will the next few days or weeks bring Jay Privman? Will you be joining us here in the Kentucky area?
4: Oh, yeah, I'm definitely coming in for the Derby. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been there since the maximum security debacle of 2019, so I'm looking forward to getting back there. Uh, I couldn't come in 2020 owing to the whole COVID situation. and the last year, I was ill, but I'm doing well, and I'm looking forward to coming in for the race and seeing you and everybody else, and then, um, and especially – excited because i think this is going to be a good race i think this is a quality group of three-year-olds and it'll be a fun race to to see with the considering how good i think this group is a- absolutely
1: i i couldn't agree more well that's so great uh i that i'll get to see your shining face uh live and in person we'll have to update the photo of us because the the one that i have on <laughs> my my dresser Jay we both have solid black hair so i think it's been <laughs> yeah, a that's, while that's a few years we... ago
4: then <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah since we've had a picture taken together i remember this whenever you have a picture taken with me you'll always look tall and slender <laughs> <laughs>
4: well i'm looking forward to seeing you it'll be uh, it'll be uh, a nice uh, reunion
1: And, Jay, before we go, update our listeners. We had a great conversation tonight, but where they can see you and or read, you and Marty McGee, kind of both give your updated and current opinions. And I'm guessing you'll take us right up to Derby
4: Week. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it's at DRF.com, and that's, that's the website. Also, obviously, you can buy the print edition of the racing form. It's every Friday when we do our Derby Watch Top 20 in terms of the print edition. It's online on wednesday and it stays online until we update it the following week so you can go there now and see who our current top 20 list is it's an order of the odds that marty has on the runners as of right now but we both of us comment on all 20 horses so you can tell from our comments who we like and who we might be a little bit skeptical of uh in there and as you mentioned, as you know the last point scoring races this weekend with the Lexington and Keeneland and then everything will be set in terms of the order of, of points. And we'll see who's in and who's out.
1: All right. Well, Jay Privman, once again, thanks a lot. I look forward to see you in person and uh, just be well, my friend. We'll, we'll, we'll get to between the p- twin spires one way or another.
4: Well, John, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks.
1: All right. That was the Daily Racing Forum's multi-award winning writer, Jay Privman, joining us. Uh, coming up here in the next segment, let's go to school and learn a little bit about quarter horse racing from the main guy, Tom Dawson. He'll tell us about it. All right. You're listening to Winning Ponies. I'm John Engelhart. We'll be right back with Tom Dawson.
0: Wedding Ponies with John Inglehart You know it
1: wasn't too long ago I was uh, rewatching one of my favorite movies uh, Casey Shadow and I heard a voice in the background uh, they didn't actually call him out in the track but anyhow it was the announcer in the background a Casey Shadow about 24 and, and I'm like I know that voice I know that voice there was no character you just heard the voice and then like 24 hours later, I was watching some races on the West coast and they're interviewing an expert in quarter horse racing by the name of Tom Dawson. And I hear just a few words and I go, yes, that's Tom Dawson. Tom Dawson. How are you?
2: It's been way too long. I miss you. Yeah. Well, John, that was a much younger Tom Dawson in those days, but, uh, fascinating to uh, start the conversation with Casey Shadow because that was uh, I told somebody the other day brought it up and I said you know that was how many years ago was that 45 years ago or whatever and I said that's still one of the most unique experiences I've ever had uh, in the sport working with uh, the the production uh, and I, I actually got to do a lot more with it other than just the the on-screen voice stuff. Uh, But it, it was a very unique experience. I've never forgotten it. And if I was given the chance to do that again, I would do it in a heartbeat.
1: Well, it's great. Now, let me give everybody a uh, a little bit of background on Tom Dawson. I mean, we're talking to a guy that knows racing inside and out. And at one point in his career, uh, he was the racing secretary at Rudy Oso Downs. He had, he cut his early teeth in quarter horse racing. Uh, but then I caught up with him during the uh, late 80s through uh, 2000 and and and. And nine, I'm going to say, because uh, he, he was always in some kind of role, either on camera, a co-producer, a correspondent for ESPN, America's Horse, Racing Digest. And then uh, his uh, his career kind of dovetailed that of, of a guy, uh, everybody in racing – our age should be cons- uh, uh, aware of. And that's Chris Lincoln. And it's funny, I, I pulled up Chris's career and you, you guys dovetailed a lot and it looked like you did a lot of work together. At least that's what I recall being around the both of you guys. And uh, it, you, you guys worked hard and you played hard.
2: Well, Chris, yeah, Chris was uh, the uh, part of the package company, Wintercom, Wintercom, winter communications that put, uh, both quarter horse racing initially and later thoroughbred racing on ESPN. And that's how racing got a face on ESPN through Wintercom. And uh, <clears throat> Chris was the on-camera uh, part of the triumvirate. Doug Wren was the production side and our director for many years. And Jim Wilburn was the business and sales force. And what a, and best salesman I ever met. So those three guys were the nucleus of the production company, and uh, they wound up producing not only horse racing but Major League Soccer and uh, all kinds of outdoor programming for ESPN. That was uh, at one point it was a leading packager for ESPN. That's quite a quite a feat.
1: Well, I was glad to go up, Tom, and researching this and know that Chris is uh, uh, still alive and well among us uh, and uh, semi-retired, but still keeping his hand uh, in sports. Now, I, oh, yeah, good, and,
2: and I, let me say this, John: he was inducted last week into the Oklahoma Broadcasters Hall of Fame. So oh, long, you ago. know. And and one of the great stories about Chris was that I think three years after he left. Nightly sports in Tulsa. A poll was conducted in town to list your favorite, uh, regu- you know, regular uh, local broadcaster. And he still won it, even though he hadn't been on the air for three years. locally. <laughs> so he did leave an impression. Well, you
1: certainly worked alongside a legend. Now, again, as as I told you off air, you, you you know, we don't, I believe, uh, give quarter horse racing enough coverage and i'm sure and hopefully you're going to change that but there's a couple you know a, as a novice now we used to at uh, river downs we w- had a relationship with the quarter horse people were several times a year they would come in and have quarter horse races there because it was kind of like the guys in the midwest in the summer uh, at least you know in, in that part of the country didn't have a, a place to go but they had some purse money and so I started watching quarter horse racing and uh, all I knew about the game and I actually made money off this at this angle. And I don't know how much has changed over the years, but a horse by the name of dash for cash seemed to be (laughs) the Northern dancer of quarter horse racing. So whether it was in, in whether he's the grand sire or the grand dam sire, if I saw that name in a pedigree, I bet it. And man, I'll tell you what I won more than I lost. Tom Uh, uh, obviously you remember him and what, was I right? Did
2: he have that impact on the breed that I'm thinking he did? Oh, absolutely. He was one of the, probably one of the five best racehorses, uh, quarter horse racehorses I ever saw. Then he was the leading sire in the industry for a number of years, uh, and of course, pretty hard for anybody back in in that day. He was uh, he was uh, a stud in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You know inflated purses and corridors racing, as well as thoroughbred, you know, makes it hard for those old guys to hold on to money titles, you know, but his influence is still very much felt today.
1: Uh, is, is there, all right, cause I, I'm going to be looking at these cards. Um, is there a current dash for cash or great, great grandson of his, or is there a new line that's come in? It seems like this year, and, and I know you still keep an eye on the thoroughbred, yeah. Uh, we're seeing like 18 of the top 20 horses in the Derby gate are all by first or second crop sires. Are are we seeing a, a kind of a new upstart in the in the quarter horse breed? I should be looking for when I handicap these races.
2: No, not really, not not at the top just yet. I mean, uh, the you were talking about uh, uh, Dash for Cash. His lineage traces to a top sire today who's got the side the fastest uh, qualifier on one of the nights for the Remington Tart Futurity coming up, horse called FDD Dynasty. And uh, so he he is one of the top sires and is if as you look through the program, you will see a horse named Ivory James, well represented, uh favorite cartel, uh one fabulous eagle. And the guy who's been the walking boss the last couple of years, horse call apolitical Jess. Uh, but remember, John, that you know, quarter horse racing, artificial insemination is allowed, so that you're going to have more uh, more mares bred. They also allow embryo transfer, so a mare can have theoretically you know two, three foals a a season, right? So it's it's kind of a different thing. Um, and not really comparable, totally to thoroughbred racing, where you're, uh, you know, where it's uh, natural and only one full a year.
1: Now, uh, that, that that certainly explains a lot of the reason why cash was in a lot of pedigrees back those days. Now, now yeah. when I'm looking at at a card, uh, first of all, yeah, thank you for what you sent me, but it it, it just seems like. Most of the horses that we're going to see competing in the next couple of days are like milliseconds away from being the winner of that race. Now, one thing I always want to know is, Tom, we're talking with Tom Dawson. Uh, are track biases important? In other words, I've seen it where horses seem to just absolutely love hugging the rail, and I've seen other horses that like being by themselves out by the track photographer. Um, is that a bias thing, or is that a personal, you know, habit of a quarter horse?
2: Well, you know, like any racetrack, John, a track can have tendencies, and those those tendencies can change uh, week to week. You know, depending on weather and and uh, different different factors. The biggest thing when 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 you look at futurity and uh, and Derby, but particularly futurity trials, you're going to have like there were 22, I believe, 22 races. 11 on each of the trial nights to select the 10 futurity finals, five from each night. Okay. So that's whittling down a lot of horses down to a few spots. And naturally there's going to be some, you know, when you're talking about 330 yards, you're going to be down to fractions of a second. Right. So the, like, for instance, on the first night, uh, Mighty Like a Rose qualified in sixteen point eight nine seven. The second fastest qualifier, just Angel Blood, sixteen point nine zero okay. zero. Wow. If you ran them together in the same race, they weren't, but if they were, you're talking about an O's. Right. right. And then and then you go to uh the next one was sixteen nine five four. Well that's uh, that's uh, a big spread in quarter horse racing. That's a long neck. <laughs> you know. But it's it's very common when you have only five qualifiers coming out of a night, that the top and bottom are separated by less than a Very common. Uh
1: now, uh, as far as uh, other things that I should l- look for in quarter horse racing, uh, I-, I I know that. Uh is it G.R. Carter? He's kind of like the Perry Oots of the jockey kingdom out there. Uh, you know, uh, they, they let him uh, release from the nursing home to, to ride for six races, and then he comes home. Uh, but are there any Ortiz brothers or you know, up-and-comers or somebody who's been hot for like the last five, six years we should keep an eye on?
2: There's a kid uh, that uh, – there's a couple of them. But the one who's really doing the good, and I think has a great—excuse <coughs> me—great future as a rider, is Juan Polito. He qualified four horses for the futurity we're going to do this weekend, so that gives him—you know—he obviously can only ride one. But in quarter horse racing, the norm is that if you qualify one. You get 5% of that horse's earnings in the finals, wow. and the pickup rider gets 5 Because the name of the game is to get in, right? The, it, the name of the game is to beat those numbers and whittle that 160 or whatever it was in the trials down to these 10, right? So he's in pretty good shape. Now, he wants to ride the winner, of course. And he gets the full the full slate if he rides the winner. Uh, but you know how competitive jockeys are, anyway, and they want to make the right choice. They don't want everybody telling them, "God, you never pick the right horse when you qualify multiples." <laughs> and so he definitely wants to pick the right one. But Polito is a very, very hot and very talented young rider. No. Another one that you'll see. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. No, 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 no.
1: I, I, I want to go ahead. You, you finish. I, I, I just got a question because I'm very interested. Go ahead. Uh,
2: another one that you want to keep an eye on is uh, is a, a fellow named Calderon. Uh, he is. He was the champion jockey last year, Francisco Calderon, and he's another one that is. He's he's not a kid, but he's not. He's not old, and he's really coming into his own. So, if you see Calderone on a horse, uh, then it's worth. Uh, it's definitely worth looking at.
1: All right, as you know, on the thoroughbred sides of things, we have our Brad Cox, we have our Bob Bafferts, we have our Todd Fletcher. Right. Um, when I look down at the horses that are to be entered uh, into these uh, Oklahoma bred races, it looks like a gentleman by the name of Santos Carazales kind of has a chokehold on these fields.
2: <laughs> Carazales has been doing great for the last couple of years. He's from a racing family. Uh, his father was a jockey, <clears throat> his brother's trainers, and he has uh, got some live owners. He's the leading trainer at the Remington meet right now and Polito's his main rider. So they they're both atop the the leaderboard. But uh yeah, Carrizales, is his stable is going very, very good right now. Another guy who's been very strong lately is Monty Arosa. He has a horse in the uh, futurity finals, mighty like a rose, and uh, then uh, in the Derby, the fastest qualifier, horse called Political Speed, is trained by a fellow named Jason Olmstead, who was the champion quarter horse jockey nationally last year. And uh, he's uh, he's got a very strong stable and always one to watch if you see Olmstead's name on it. Right wow, and the is big great. boys, of course, the bigger guys that you'll see, Eddie Willis, uh, Trey Wood, Heath Taylor, big big stables that are almost always, almost always represented in these major races like we're going to have Saturday night.
1: Well, uh, now just I want to get into the the details on Saturday races and your involvement and where we can go to see it. But I I I just read a release uh, from uh, the Racetrack International. Uh, meeting that's going on with the commissioners. And I guess good news uh, for you uh, a, a person who's a former trainer, uh, uh, Janet Van Bieber, uh, you're mm-hmm. obviously very familiar with her, the AQHE's director of racing. Um, but I guess it, it, that uh, we've seen a 16% increase over the previous year uh, that more than 100,000 mares were bred. Uh, that's a real good trend to seeing. Uh, Tom Dawson, to to what does the quarter horse breed or the people that control it uh, attribute that fantastic number?
2: Well, I don't know what the official attribution would be, but uh, the fact is that breeding declined way back during the uh, difficulties, financial difficulties of 2008, subsequent years. Uh, a lot of people bred fewer mares because of the economic hardships. They got, you know, they they uh, uh, some people didn't, you know, didn't breed at all, and it just reduced reduced the number of foals. And it was a hard thing to come back from. Then a the pandemic, of course, and a lot of things didn't uh, didn't happen during that. So what what you have is a combination of re, of recovery from that. Plus a, a great resurgence, economic resurgence in the in the quarter horse industry, and I don't know. I'm not a good enough economist to know what depended on, but the yearling sales last year were the best ever, and that was true uh, at Ruidoso. It was true at uh, Heritage Place in Oklahoma City. It was true in California. Uh, the the yearling sales were un- unbelievably good. And you know, as were the thoroughbred sales. <clears throat> so there is an economic resurgence, and if you put more money in the breeders' pockets and the, you know, consigners' pockets, well, then they'll breed to get more mares. You know, so it's a it's a cycle that's fortunately uh, trending upward right now. We just hope to see it continue.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Well, uh, Tom Dawson, uh, what are we going to see in in the next couple of days where you are? I know you're going from place to place.
2: Uh, Who are you working with? And then how do we get to view your work? Well, this is the first live show of a series of nine shows that we will be producing this year on the Cowboy Channel and the cowboy channel is a very familiar entity particularly here in the in the southwest and midwest their primary venue is rodeo and they are the home of the national finals rodeo Uh, just so happens the president of cowboy channel is a fellow named jeff metters who i worked with for 20 years doing wow (laughs) before he um formed his own company and got more into rodeo and then became president of Cowboy Channel. So when I approached him a couple of years ago about getting involved in quarter horse racing, he was all for it. So fast forward to this year, we got nine shows on the live schedule. And our first one is Saturday night at, uh, at Remington Park. And we'll continue two at Remington, four in Ruidoso uh, this summer, including the Ruidoso Triple Crown. And then we'll uh, finish up with three in the fall. This first one is the Remington Park, it, it, it says Oklahoma bred Futurity and Derby, and of course that's true, they are Oklahoma breds. But Oklahoma is the leading breeding state in horse racing, so it's not quite like having a race for Kentucky breds, but it's close, because Oklahoma breds are competitive anywhere, anytime, you know, any racetrack. So, yes, it's a restricted race, but it's, uh, in many ways it's not. And the uh, futurity purse is uh, nine hundred and seventy-three thousand. So, you know, it's a pretty good way to kickstart your year. Now, uh, Tom, some states w- when they say uh,
1: accredited, bread I can certainly speak for the state of Ohio. Uh, 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 what I'm seeing uh, in the uh, in the form is that you know, for accredited Arizona breath, uh, accredited can either mean yes, you've been approved, you've filled up all the. The, the uh, paperwork out you're accredited or accredited can mean that both the sire and the dam must be from that state what's the rule out in Arizona uh, well you mean in Oklahoma oh I'm sorry Oklahoma yeah I'm sorry yeah. We're, pro- we're producing this show from uh, Arizona I get uh, places confused easily
2: I, I'm not John I'm not 100% sure of the Oklahoma rules but there are sires there's uh, in these races that do not stand in oklahoma so i i imagine it's along the lines of a number of states where the mare has to be foaled in the state and bred back in the state i would think that'd be the norm uh, okay because there are california sires texas sires and all represented but then there are a number of of uh, top oklahoma sires that have horses in here too so it's like i say this is a it's a restriction in name only because, uh, for instance, last year, the horse that won this particular derby went on to rattle off three more and wound up being the champion quarter horse three-year-old. So, you no, know, they can compete anywhere.
1: Now, uh, t- t- Tom, uh, I, a lot of our listeners, including the voice you're hearing, are an Eastern Standard Time. So what time approximately would these, be, would these races be going on for somebody in uh, Lexington, Kentucky?
2: Well, our program begins, it's a late night program this, this time because Remington runs at night plus we had to be on after the rodeo because the rodeo rodeos pay the majority of bills around cowboy channel so it's going to be 11 at night when we hit the air so you got to get you know stay up late and we're going to have uh we're going to have the the remington park derby live and the remington park security live and depending on the flow of the card you know maybe we'll have another libraries in there but that's the plan cowboy channel which is available on both uh, dish and direct tv and a number of cable systems uh, at 11 o'clock eastern on saturday night all
1: right 11 o'clock eastern well saturday night you know the party's just starting at 11 o'clock sure. so we'll, be, we'll be all ready for this you know now is well, there any place i how long the line yeah, where we're going to actually see the face of Tom Dawson. Or are you just behind the scenes telling everybody else how to look good?
2: Well, I kind of do it all for this series. I'm, I'm the coordinating producer. I lay out the shows, do the, do the show format. Uh, basically usually produce you know, all the feature content. Uh, plus I do, uh, 80% of the sales and, uh, and then I am, uh, I'm on location. The show is hosted from the Cowboy Channel Studios in Fort Worth. And uh, then I am on location uh, at Remington. And uh, some great little technological advances have allowed that to, to happen. So all I need is a cameraman with the right equipment and me. And we ah. can be alive from the site.
1: Well, Tom, it has been fantastic catching up with you. Now, this is uh, you know going to be in history forever. Do you promise me you'll come back on a regular basis when there's something big happening in the world of quarter horse racing?
2: Oh, you know what, John? I think we should target somewhere around the Memorial Day weekend because that's huge. Trials for the first of the Triple Crown races in Ruidoso and the finals of a million dollar futurity uh, in Oklahoma all happening that weekend.
1: Alright folks, circle your calendar Tom Dawson's going to help us out For the Memorial Day weekend card And I gotta close out You know what that's like Fantastic catching up with Tom Dawson Want to thank the Daily Racing Forum's uh, Jay Pribman for his insights Into the Run for the Roses And most importantly, I want to thank you For listening to another edition Of Winning Ponies